Hello and welcome to the podcast. Um, my name is Neil Tappin and I'm here this week with Nick Bonfield. Nick, hello. Hello, Neil. How are you? Um, I'm well. Tell us what you're doing tonight, Nick. I am going <laughs> to my 10-year school reunion. Right. Okay. Which is something I'm approaching with a mix of excitement and trepidation. Uh, trepidation for what reason? Well, the thing is, when you're walking along in London and you catch someone's eye, you don't have to talk to them. You can just carry on walking on. But if you encounter someone who you perhaps didn't get on that well with at school or really have much to say to at school and you catch their eye at a reunion, you have to stop and talk to them. So there you go. That's just uh, a little insight into how my mind works. And I'm right in saying that yours was a mixed school? It was a mixed school. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay, good. That's why you're going. Well, no. If it, <laughs> if it was an all-boys school, you'd probably be doing something else tonight. Am that I is right? untrue. But I am looking forward to going and, and perhaps finally finding myself a girlfriend, just to preempt the joke that you were about to make there. <laughs> no, I was just going to no? say that we're, we're not in the same room, but I can imagine that you're wearing your finest aftershave. Uh, <laughs> spot on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's. Should we talk about golf? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So this week's podcast, we are taking a break from looking at um, the uh, what's going on in the world of professional golf, and um, instead going to talk about some of the best and worst things in the game. Um, okay. So we've got nine different topics to talk about. Things like playing partners, um, clubs you've owned over the years, prizes you've won, etc. And we're going to talk about the best and worst in each scenario. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, let's do um, this. Good. Okay, well, the first one we're going to talk about then is the best and worst feeling in golf. Do you want to kick off? I would be delighted to kick off, Neil. And I <laughs> good. went round a little bit on this one before landing on chipping in from off the green. Ah, interesting. I, funnily enough, went for the same thing. The, I wonder if we approached it from the same angle because I've never had an eagle <laughs> So <laughs> I don't have any great experiences to draw on there. Probably never uh, come close. Well, I've come close. I've come really? Thanks for that. There was no need for that addition, was there? But as you can attest to, one of the strengths of my game, one of the many strengths of my game, is putting. Is adding up the score at the end. <laughs> so whenever I'm on the putting surface, wherever I am, in the back of my mind, I think there is a possibility, admittedly a small one, that this is going to go in the hole. However, uh-huh. when you find yourself in the rough, in a bad lie, just off the green, or in a bunker, you don't ever entertain that possibility. Certainly I don't. So then when it does go into the hole, not only have you got at least one lesson you're expecting to, it was also something that you never saw coming. So it's almost a double whammy of jubilation. Um, Yeah, I'd say that the only thing I'd add to that, you're quite right, is that uh, it doesn't happen to me very often. Chipping's definitely not the best part of my game. (laughs) I chipped in earlier this year, actually, um, and I'd never done it before, but I slam dunked it. Oh, that's play- never happened to me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah I was playing, set the scene. Uh, well, I was playing uh, with Mike Harris, editor of Golf Monthly, against Richard Fryer and Paul O'Hagan, who work at Footjoy. And it was a tight match. And uh, I think it was an eagle. And if, do you know what? If, if we were playing bits, Nigel, this would have been worth an awful lot of money to me because I hit my drive into a bunker, then knocked it out of the bunker or somewhere up towards the green, and then, and then that slam dunk, dunk chip. Oh, um, so that would have been a What's that, three bits? S- sandy ferret uh, eagle, Crikey. which is four. If I did that, I'd get eight bits. Uh, yeah, you'd get, a, you'd get a smack around the face as well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I think that's realistically never going to happen. Although I do remember sending you into a frenzy of anger uh, not too long ago at the Berkshire. Do you remember yeah. that, Neil? I do, yeah. I do. We were playing a match against each other and you played, it was a par five, you played it like, Pretty much like you'd never played golf before. So sprayed the drive miles right. Quick caveat here. I was dealing with a bad back at the time. You <laughs> you were. Uh, every it was like a scene from it was a, a bit like when you um when you watch Wimbledon, someone has the trainer come on between games and they're lying on the floor doing some sort of weird stretches. You were doing that on every tee box. Uh, so I'll give you that. You were struggling, but you played still, regardless, you played the hole badly. Um and you ended up chipping in for a par with a shot. <laughs> and I made a sort of standard birdie, and we halved the hole. And I, I think that had been a, a couple of times you'd done something similar to that during the round, and I'd sort of had enough. I mean, you're a man who's not the calmest on the golf course at the best of times. <laughs> and so when you've hit two glorious shots and made an easy two-part for a tap-in birdie, and someone scabs it down the hole and chips in for a five. That doesn't play to my you. strengths. It doesn't, no. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's talk about the worst feeling in golf. 
Yeah, okay, so I've gone a little bit off-piste here. I mean, a lot of people would talk about the shank, the duff, etc. But I find it particularly annoying when I haven't hit a bad approach to a par 4. I've just leaked a little bit right or left. And I find myself in a position where it's basically impossible to make par from. So there's a bunker in the way and the pin is just over the bunker and you have to keep it low because there are trees above where your ball is. That sort of situation really winds me up because I think I've hit a good drive, not a terrible not a terrible second, and now I'm in a situation where I can't possibly make four unless I do something miraculous. And just on a visceral level, that sort of, that sort of situation winds me up probably more than any other. I can accept a shank every once in a while. I can accept pulling a drive out of bounds, but that really does irritate me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I can see where you're coming from. That's interesting because I, that wouldn't have been on my list. It's more sort of frustrating, isn't it? It's like you're standing there, you've got no options. It's very frustrating. Inevitably, but... there's no trouble left either, and you've just drifted it a touch right. You've got a bad bounce, and you're just you're dead. You basically have to play across the green to then chip up to where the flag is. I find that so, so irksome. I really do. More irksome than if you knocked it into a bunker and then had no stance and had to come out sideways. Because I can still... I'd still have a better chance of making four from there by putting an approach close. In that situation that I described previously, you, you're sometimes not even getting on the green with your third, even though you're so close to the flag. So that's why that annoys me more probably than a bad stance in the bunker. Okay, well, golf is a game of annoyance and frustration for me, <laughs> as you know. Um, so I had a plethora of different options on this. and There were two that I, I was tossing up between the two. One was uh, double hitting a chip. <laughs> which not only not only have you hit an awful shot, not only uh, not only that, but you also have to add a penalty shot to your score and just the embarrassment. You just look like you just. I mean, it's just awful. It's it it's of all the bad shots, I think that's the most um, disheartening and embarrassing. But for me, the most depressing feeling in golf is when you hit a tee shot out of bounds because it happens probably more. Or it happens to me more often than I have double hit a chip. Mm. Um, and it's just uh, we inevitably play stable for competition so you basically know you've got no chance of um, of getting a point unless you make birdie with your second ball so it's, you're kind of teeing one up and hitting it for the sake of it more than anything else and it's just so frustrating very annoying granted but do you not sort of justify that to yourself mentally by saying not even the top pros in the world hit more than 80% of fairways I'm a five handicapper. I'm going to hit some wayward drives. It's just the way it is. It's just the nature of the business. See, I can accept that more than the situation I described. Admittedly, very annoying still, but I, I, I can take that one in my stride more than perhaps you can. Mm, yeah, that, I'd love to say that I thought that way. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, realistically, I tell myself I think that way, but I'm still very annoyed when it happens. Exactly. Okay, so topic number two. Uh, is playing partner. What makes the best and the worst playing partner? Okay. Well, I was searching through the uh, the memory bank here and I actually landed on the name of one Fergus Bissett, who is Golf Monthly's contributing editor. As uh, the best or worst? As the best. Oh, right. Okay. Now, well, I'm pleased I to hear this. I believe I've only played with him once. But it was he's a very, very, very good golfer. I think he was off two or three at the time. And often a mid-handicapper like me can be quite intimidated when you're playing with someone like that. But from the get-go, he was so encouraging. Get-go. Really... I'm not sure that's a phrase that we really want to be encouraging on this podcast. Well, apologies. From apologies. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. Okay, better. He, he just, you know when sometimes you hit a bad shot and you're embarrassed and you're wondering how your playing partners are thinking about it? He clearly didn't mind. He clearly was just out there enjoying himself. He was very encouraging. Good company all the way around. Funny. Um, similar interests and just I reflected on the round after I finished and thought you know I didn't play very well there but I actually had a really really great time and a part of that was uh, was Fergus's company and the way he just acted on the golf course and also the way he responded to his bad shots because you get some low handicappers not unlike yourself Neil who sometimes get quite irate when they hit a bad shot. I feel shot. like this podcast is <laughs> ganging up against me it's only you. You'll be the first to admit that sometimes you react unfavourably to bad shots. But Fergus <laughs> didn't seem to take it that badly. And that I think that is, is good in, in its own right because sometimes people don't understand the knock-on effects of, of how, they, how they act on the golf course and how other people take that and how it forces them to behave. Uh, and Fergus was just great when he hit bad shots and it just made you feel comfortable on the golf course. And that's the kind of playing partner I like. Someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, you can have a joke with, who's very encouraging who knows the etiquette, and he just ticked all the boxes for me. Played plays fast as well, which is another Yeah, bonus. I think we would all agree with that. And I, I would also, I would concur that I, I really like playing with people who are much better than I am. 
I tend to play my best golf when I play with people who are a lot better. That's why I tend to try and avoid you in the draw. <laughs> You've done that fairly successfully through the years, actually. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to start off the worst playing partner. And I've got only one real attribute that really I can't stand. Let me guess, ha- slow play. Yes, yes, I have to avoid. I just, people who play slow, I just... I'm never going to play well when I play with those people because they'll just frustrate me so much. I end up playing twice as fast. I end up really um, half despising them during the (laughs) round, you know, thinking this person has just no respect for anybody else on the golf course. They're so selfish. It's probably a bit of a shortcoming on my part that I can't just, you know, enjoy golf for the sake of playing it and being outside in the country. But I just think it's... being slow at golf is one of the most selfish things you can do. Do you and having no comprehension of how slow you are is a, a sign? Yeah, of the lack of self awareness is very annoying. But a, do you tell these people that you think they're being slow? And b, have you ever stopped to consider the fact that you might play very fast and perhaps uh, too fast? A, I don't think I've ever. I, I have uh, people that I feel comfortable with um, as friends. I'll tell them if they're slow. Yeah, but not during a round of golf, really. Unless they're did, you know, dilly-dallying around in a particular scenario, I might say, I'll get on with it. But generally speaking, no, I won't. Because, it, I don't know, it's it can come across as a bit rude and a bit aggressive and a bit confrontational. That's not really my style. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was B? Am I playing too fast? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. And I definitely should probably because try Because I think there is a also a problem, not to the same extent as slow play, obviously, of people sprinting around a golf course. And, and I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, you call me slow the whole time. I don't think I'm massively slow. I'm certainly You're not, not actually that slow. You walk slowly. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not in a great... When I'm playing golf, I, the thing is I don't have a family, so I haven't set aside like three and a half hours to get around. I'm enjoying the surroundings. I'm enjoying the company of my playing partners. I have no desire to almost walk uh, so fast that I'm verging on running to try and sprint around in three hours and 20 minutes. I, I just don't enjoy golf like that. So I think there is a balance to be found. I, do you know, I, I, can, I understand what you're saying, but I think, I understand what you're saying, but I think you're much better erring on the side of being too fast and too slow, much better. You know, because inevitably in this day and age, Nige, people have stuff to do that isn't golf. And you say you don't have a family, so you have nothing to get back to, but half the time you play, you will have something to go, you, you, you know, you've got your old school reunion, you've got a a Tinder date to look forward to. <laughs> the margins we're talking about here are so small. It's basically the difference between three hours 30 and four hours, and that extra half an hour doesn't bother Is me. Is all the difference? See, I, I view it the other way. It's just, it's every hole, five minutes of waiting, where you don't need to be waiting, thinking my life is just slowly trudging before my eyes. And I hate that as much as the next person. I hate people doing stupid things, putting their bag in the wrong place, marking their scorecard on the green, all those sorts of things that wind everyone else up. I despise as well. But I just... I suppose the thing I don't like the most is basically sprinting down the fairway towards your ball and then not taking as much time as you feel comfortable with on a shot because you feel like everyone else around you wants to move faster. That's all. All I'm saying is it's a consideration that sometimes people might be going a touch too fast. I've said it. Okay, you said it. Vilify me if you will. I will do. Um, Okay, let's move on to the next one. So the best and worst golf club you've ever owned. This is a tough one. I found this very, very difficult because... The TaylorMade M1 driver I'm currently using is a fantastic piece of kit that has not only made me more consistent off the tee, but given me probably an extra 20 yards. Okay. But I would land on the Odyssey two-ball putter, quite simply the best putter ever made, and I've tested a lot, and I've never felt so comfortable with a flat stick than with the Odyssey two-ball. Just, I think the sweetness off the face is so rewarding when you hit a good putt, and the alignment is second to none as far as I'm concerned. And the balance of the putter is great as well. And I just feel like I'm going to hold every putt when I'm on the green with that. And actually, I went back to... This has been in in my parents' garage for about the last six years. And I've upgraded subsequently. But I actually went back to it about three months ago and hold everything again. Even though it's a tatty grip and it's it's seen its best days. I'm considering putting it back in the bag full time because I just feel so comfortable with it. Yeah, I also I don't know if you've ever had the chance to... to, Or ever used a two ball with regularity. But it's such a good putter. Uh, yeah, my, my oldest and most favourite putter is also a two ball. And it's one that goes in and out of the bag. It comes out because it's so old and I really shouldn't be using yeah, stuff that's, that's that old. That's it. I know you're almost <laughs> you embarrassed know, to pull it out of your working bag because the grip's basically falling off. But it's still so good. 
Yeah. So I would I would agree with you on that. And I think when you're talking about the short game as well, people you do form a bit of a you know an emotional bond with golf clubs that have served you well over the years. Ones that you you know, for instance, with a putter, know that you don't tend to miss short putts with. It's really nice to look down on a putter and, and think, you know, it's working with you, not against you. Absolutely. And that, you know, if you make a good stroke, it'll go in. If you don't, it'll miss. But there's nothing, you know, there's nothing untoward happening there. It's always it's always good to see. I just feel like there's so little margin for error with it because on a maybe five-foot putt, you only have to take the putter back a couple of inches because it's so hot off the face. And I always feel that there's just less margin for error. The, the less distance you have to move the putter back from the ball, the less margin for error there is. And that's another reason why I really, really like the two ball. Okay, and your worst piece of equipment you've ever owned? Oh, there's been some bad ones over the years, but I would have to say my Ozone 3 wood that I played with when I was probably 11 to 15. <laughs> so I was in the phase of life where I was really enjoying golf and I was trying to persuade my dad that I deserved a, a, prop, a proper driver, as I called it, uh, one of the newer drivers, one of the newer breed, and he wouldn't let me because he wasn't convinced that if I got that, I would then play with it for a couple of months and then just give up golf. So I almost had to prove to him that I was deserving of a, of a better driver. And in that time, <laughs> I was playing the Ozone 3 Wood, which one of my friends, I'm not quite sure how this happened, but he managed to hit his driver down onto my 3 Wood and chip it. So there was a massive chip on top of it as well. So <laughs> the chip and dent on top that I looked at every time yeah. I addressed the ball. It's quite a junior junior golf type thing to happen, isn't it? It absolutely is. Although interestingly, I still have my Ozone sand wedge from my first ever set of golf clubs in my bag. I just can't say goodbye to it from those Heck. tricky lies just off the green. I, I trust okay. it more than any club in the bag. I don't. I don't really think I know. I can picture this golf club that you speak of. Do you remember Ozone at all? I do vaguely. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a very. I think they had a tinge of red in their brand, and it was very very grey. If you remember that at all, I would say that applies to a lot of <laughs> a lot of golf clubs and brands. Um, right, I, I'm gonna, my best would be my Titleist 913 driver. Mm, that yeah, I you hit that one at ridiculous distances. Four years ago, I'd been struggling with my driving for a while. Put that in, played really nicely with it. Um, you know, and I've now it's now not in the bag. I've got the new Titleist 917, which is definitely better. But in terms of golf clubs that I have a really soft spot for and ones I'll never get rid of, that certainly would be top of my list and then my worst piece of golf equipment i've ever owned Nigel, i'm going to fess up to owning a long putter oh we kept that my, one quiet i never saw you use that my last year at university i was putting so poorly i decided to try for a short period for i say short period probably six months or so a long putter we're we talking belly uh, or broom handle it was a. Uh, it was a belly well it was a it was a broom handle really actually it wasn't a full broom handle. It wasn't the full broom handle size, but it was basically a broom handle. And um, it was a cheap one because I didn't know if I want to do it or not. So I decided to, and it was awful. And you stuck with it for six months. Even and actually, do you know what? I think the insert fell out. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I found a way through the putting woes. And um, I'm now back with a regular length putter, which um, is is much better. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up because you were always quite vocal, weren't you, when we were discussing whether anchoring should be permitted or not? Well, that's, yeah, it's because I'd stopped doing it. Yeah, okay, well, I did. Okay, <laughs> little window into your past there. I remember that for future discussions. Okay, good. Yeah, good, good. This is quite a revealing podcast. Yeah, it is. I feel like it's. Feel, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, best and worst major that you've seen. No. Oh, this is a toughie. I have three on a short list, and I'm basically going to point at the 2011 Masters. Which was won by was Charles won Schwartzel. Which by Charles Schwartzel birdieing the last four holes. But there was a stage on the back nine where there was about eight players within two or three shots of the lead. You had Bovan Pelt, who'd eagled 13 and 15. Jason Day was making a charge. Scott was in the mix. And Tiger had surged through the field to this point, and I think he just hit a laser-like long iron into the 15th and had about five feet for eagle. And it was so, so tense, so, so exciting. And I think that was just the epitome of what a great golf tournament should be on the greatest golf course that there is, in my opinion. Um, I think all those Charles Schwartz, though, ha happy with the winner? Happy with the would winner. Would you have seen, I, I think, rather seen somebody else win that one? No, I was happy because he, he birdied the last four holes on the back nine on the Sunday at Augusta to win. I think if anyone does that, they're fully deserving. Uh, I'm, I was I was thrilled thrilled that he managed to get over the line given the way he finished. I think the nature of the performance was was so impressive, even if perhaps you'd like to see a bigger personality get over the Pro line. Probably surprised he hasn't gone on to contend at more majors. Well, very surprised actually. until this season. That was his only victory in the states, I believe. 
which is incredible yeah, for a player of his stature. Yeah, he, he ran a slightly random one in the US this year, didn't he? I think he won uh, the Valspar or something yeah. like that. I think you're right uh, and then obviously he just wins like three events in south africa every season and <laughs> actually his record on mainland europe's not as good as it should be either so he's kind of a player who i would hope to see a little bit more from before the end of his career yeah okay well for my best major i'm going to take you back to 2007 carnoustie the final day there where, where sergio garcia had the lead he was playing with steve stricker uh, and then up ahead you had podrick harrington eduardo no Andres Andres Romero Romero. was in with a chance of winning. Didn't he shoot 63 or something like that? I don't know. He hit it out of bounds on 17, didn't he? And that that basically cost him the tournament. Mm. So he was right there. But it was was one that Sergio was leading and then he fell back and then he came back again at the end. And we hadn't had a European major winner since Paul Laurie, I don't think. Uh, 97. You've got a funny look on your face. Is that wrong? Have I made that up? No, that's the nice. It's been... Ages since a European had won a major. Yeah. I remember that much. And um, it was just so tense. And it was like watching these two, Garcia and Harrington, trying to get over the line during regulation play was just like, I this is what it means to win a major. as I'd felt watching a golf tournament. Yeah. And it just illustrated what it means to win a major for somebody who hasn't done it yet. And then you know, for Harrington to make the mistakes that he made on, uh, on the final hole and then managing to get it up and down for his I think he made bogey, didn't he? And One of the best up and downs ever. And then Garcia's putt that just lipped out. Oh, how it, did that stay out as well? It was, oh. a, it was a fantastic... Oh, no, I was, I was there. I happened to be there for that one. So it was absolutely brilliant to watch. And the brilliant ceremony afterwards was absolutely excruciating <laughs> for Garcia fans, wasn't it? It was. Harrington yeah. was rightly saying, this guy's a class act and he's going to win a major at some point. And, and Garcia, Garcia was basically was crying in the corner. almost crying, standing next to him, thinking, I've just wasted the best chance that I've ever had to win a major. It was yeah, really hard was, to watch. He was pretty distraught at the end of that. I remember at the press conference, him, I think, saying something like, because he hit the flag on the par three in the playoff. And he said, you know, if that was somebody else, that would have hit the flag and gone in, but it's me. You know, the golfing gods aren't smiling on me. Something like that. Mm. And you just felt for him. You know, it's the sort of thing that I would think <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> and that's always the great thing about Sergio. I know that you've got a bit of a thing about Sergio, don't you? You don't uh, really like him very much, but I do. And I like him for things like that because he's not a golfing robot like a lot of them. I, I appreciate him not being a golfing robot. I just think sometimes some of the comments he makes uh, in the heat of the moment probably would be wise to just hold back a little bit and give himself a little bit of time to think before he comes out with them. That's all. Just slightly rash in some of his comments, I think. I don't dislike the yeah. guy. I think he's a phenomenal golfer. I love to watch him. But just personally, sometimes he's just a bit negative and downcast for my liking. And I'd quite yeah. like to see him adopt a, a, a more positive attitude. Um, okay, well, what's the worst major you've seen? Probably the 2009 US Open, <laughs> which I <laughs> you, imagine was on your shortlist as well. No, you can't. You're going to have to remind me of this one. I will be happy to. Uh, Beth Page Black, fine golf course. Lucas Glover. Lucas Glover. Finished on going, a Monday. Going head to head with Ricky Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> and they both were playing some pretty poor golf. I think Glover was about five over for his round until he made birdie on 16. Um, Barnes was just falling backwards the whole time. It just didn't really do anything to <laughs> set the imagination going <laughs> or yeah. set the enthusiasm in, in tracks. No, it was, it was quite a Monday finish. It was a Monday finish. No one is difficult in, in this country when they're finishing very early on the Monday and just all that tension and excitement has disappeared. Uh, and it's, it's you know there's a lot to be said for watching golf uh, at night for us and it was just in in the daytime and the two guys going for it were just players who a lot of people didn't even know and weren't particularly exciting and fair play to Lucas Glover he was actually a, a much better player then than he is now but, you know, Mickelson uh, was in there he, Ross, I remember Ross Fisher was in with the chance yeah, wasn't he he was it just Woods didn't, was in there didn't do much to inspire me that one was he? it was hard to pick out a bad major because I get enjoyment from them all well, I didn't find it too hard. The t- 2014 US Open that was won by n- eight shots by Martin Keimer. That now, is when you a look very at it on paper, one, and I perhaps those factors. That one. Mm. There's not a lot about that. Pinehurst that saying yes. There's not a lot of that. that, and that, that was almost what made it worse. Pinehurst, one of my favourite golf courses. It's just a beautiful place. It, it's just m- magic. And and they'd set it up really well, and it looked fantastic on TV. It deserved a really exciting major, and what it got was Martin was... Keimer putting a lot from the fringe. Yeah, 
Very I mean, successfully, I might add. You win, you win a major by eight shots. He was nine under, and I think the next two were one under. You win a major by eight shots, you deserve all the credit in the world. And I'm not taking any credit away from his performance. It's just, was it an exciting major to watch? No. I agree completely. And Kyman was playing so well that you knew almost after two rounds that no one was going to come close to him. Who I think Fowler was behind him, wasn't he? I think Eric Compton was there, which was quite a good story. I seem to recall him playing well and recording a top five, but there wasn't much tension in that one either. You're right. That's probably one I would, with hindsight, go for over the 2009 US Open. Also, 2013 USPJ was on my list. Uh, just Jason Duffner and Jim Furyk. I was thinking back about that, yes. and I couldn't really think of anything noteworthy that happened. And it, also, that was on a golf, one of those US... PGA golf courses where they take a regular tour course. I think it was Oak Hill, was it? Oak Hill? Oak Hill, sounds right. Yeah, where Sean McKeel won in 2003, I think. Yeah, and as good as, I mean, they're fantastic golf courses. It's a bit like this year's um, uh, US PGA, which was at Bolter's Roll, which is a great golf course, but, you know, it's just typical US tour fare. Mm. Um, and yeah, it just lacks a bit of character. It's of a real shame. Majors some of character. the USPJ venues of recent times, like Whistling Straits, have been absolutely fantastic. And sometimes it just spoils it a little bit when they, they go for a course that you see all the time anywhere on the PGA Tour roster. I'd like to see them do something a little bit different with the USPJ. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, Mar- okay, so the best and worst shot you've ever hit. Mm. Well, there's so many to choose from in the former category that it took me a while. But I landed <laughs> on... That's a complete lie. Uh, with the I time landed chipped on in against me. <laughs> the tee shot I hit on the par 316th on Le Manga's <laughs> West Course when I was 16 years old. Right. It's an absolute brute of a hole. It plays from a tee and then it goes down into a valley and up to a raised green that's also tiered with trouble left and right and a barranca short of the green. And it's 235 yards long. So I pulled driver out of the bag. And I've never had this before where as soon as I hit the ball, it's just on the perfect line. I don't know if you've probably had that far more than I have and as soon as it hit the club face I knew it was going to go close and it landed on the front of the green and rolled up to about six feet short of the pin which was tucked all the way in the back of the green on the back tier just I don't think I'm ever going to hit a shot like that again it's just perfect and especially as a 16 year old and I was playing off something like 20 then and 235 yards with the driver was a long way for me and it was just it was brilliant a great moment and I remember it so vividly now even though it was what 10 years ago Uh, what club what club was that hit with that was hit with, uh, again, it was a tailor-made driver, but I can't remember the model. Um, maybe um, the R- R7, possibly. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Timing-wise. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, no, timing-wise, that was the first adjustable driver, wasn't it? It was. R7, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's the worst shot you've ever hit? A few contenders in this category. Uh, <laughs> We've all got a few contenders. We do, but I, I've landed on one, which is probably not the worst shot I've ever hit, but given the circumstances, it was I, just this horrifying. Is interesting you should say that, because I think that is ultimately the thing that defines whether it's the worst shot or not you've ever hit. Because yeah, we can all hit agree. awful shots. I mean, I've talked about double hitting already in this <laughs> podcast. We can all hit. And I've hit, you know, I've always been prone to hitting the odd shank. Yeah. But it's when you, when you hit a, a truly woeful shot, when in a circumstance where you need to hit a really good one, that's when it hurts. <laughs> I think embarrassment is a thing to factor in most here, above all else. And I was standing on the first tee at Hailing Island, which I'm sure you've played. Yes. Yep. It's a par three of about 170 yards. Yep. I'd just been introduced onto the tee, and I was playing with the secretary. And I have a tendency sometimes in my golf swing to get a little steep, uh, which in summer is fine. <laughs> sometimes when it's wet as it was at Hailing Island uh, just the club digs into the ground and I must have hit the ground oh a good foot behind the ball and the divot went further than the ball and the ball went about 15 yards and then I had to play my second shot in front of everyone watching me again in front of the club's secretary and I just gouged a massive divot off his first tee <laughs> and I made a six on a relatively gentle opening hole uh, however the secretary later on did have an air shot on a chip so there was some parity restored there. <laughs> did you, uh, yeah, did you take some solace in that? I did. I, I, I must admit I had to look away and sort of pretend to be looking in the distance while I had a little chuckle. Yeah, I, <laughs> I must admit. I've, the, the worst shot, before I get on to my best and worst, the worst shot I've heard, well, worst shot I've heard about was um, one of a, a 
guy who used to work for Golf Monthly on our commercial team, a guy by the name of Alex Mills, was playing in a, a big pro-am tournament. Lots of people milling around. He was on the first tee. And um, um, it's, a, you know, it's a driver hole, and he's nervous. And he's, he's not, not a bad golfer, but not the best golfer in the world. Anyway, he misses the ball, okay? <laughs> but the force of the club head going past the ball is so fierce that the, the wave the motion of the air, air causes the ball to fall off the tee. Right. And then, so then he bends down to pick the ball up and put it back on the tee. But the starter, in, at this point, intervenes. The starter's holding microphone. Starter <laughs> oh, says, no. Uh, Mr. Mills, you're not allowed to tee the ball back up again. <laughs> Name-checked him as well. So then he had to hit his next one off the deck, off the tee, and he nobbled it down the cart path that was next to the tee where people were standing waiting further down oh, no. and it was just sounds like a horrendously embarrassing experience another quick one here was do you remember at centurion where alex nary uh, gave himself a real real pep talk before he hit his drive and said right <laughs> alex okay good shot now focus gave himself a good talking to first and tee shot as came well. off the heel and went about 30 yards left and i turned around at some point and someone was actually lying on the floor <laughs> laughing <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical just because yeah. of what proceeds it was so funny I think we could write a feature in the magazine about the worst first shots ever hit. Okay. And maybe, maybe we should, maybe maybe we we should, should. start that. that. Like so if you have idea. a story of a terrible opening tee shot, I played with somebody at Wentworth when, and he was off about 12, but he was so nervous and the starter had announced him onto the tee. I think it might have been a, the program for the BMW or something. Wow. And he, That's um, an exposed first tee as well. And he was a good player off about 12 and he hit the ground so far behind the ball that the, the driver head just bounced off the ground and missed the ball completely. <laughs> And everyone just stood there and looked around as if to say, did you try, try and hit that? But I was there thinking, you did, didn't you? I think you did. So that was pretty bad. How did he respond to that? He went bright red and then he he, he actually hit the second one all right. But yeah, because he... it doesn't get any worse than that. So obviously <laughs> no. you're then going to hit a good shot. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Um, uh, okay, I'll quickly talk about my best and worst. My best one was a, a hole of five wood for an albatross. Wow. Bearwood Lakes, fifth hole. Fifth it was hole raining. Bearwood Lakes. Uh, Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a lake behind behind yes. the green on that hole. Tough it to get raining. it closed there. It's very impressive to hold the green. Yeah, it was it was really raining. Carried hard, it all the way. So did I had you? a big um, pitch mark in the green, and okay. then popped it. So that was yeah, my worst one. A bit like, like what you were saying, but actually my worst shot was more down to the the fact that there was a, a bit of pressure surrounding the situation. So I was going well. It was a, it was a, um, a match, a club match, and I was probably only. I think it was a junior match. I was probably only 16 years old at the time. And we were all square playing the last. And I played really nicely against the guy I was up against. He played nicely. We were having a really good match. And the last at West Kent, which is where I grew up playing my junior golf, is a short, very short par four with a road behind the green. And I hit a good drive into the perfect position, but left myself in absolutely the kill zone. So about 65 yards out. Mm. And, I had, and the pin was tucked right behind a bunker, really tight. And it was the midsummer, so trying to get it to stop quickly was impossible. Anyway, I knifed it straight out of bounds and lost the match. And oh. I remember, because at West Kent as well, everyone's on the veranda, on the patio, oh. looking down, down into the valley where the 18th green is. And everyone's watching this. And it was just awful. It was a bad shot. It was an awful shot. I mean, I've hit it. And then everyone but, there is thinking, this guy's terrible. When actually you've played really good golf for 17 hours okay. and hit one bad shot. Yeah, and I've hit a shot that should have gone 70 yards. I've hit it a good 150 yards <laughs> <laughs> out of bounds. There's just, you know, we just shook hands and walked up to the clubhouse after that as well. Have you ever hit anyone with a golf ball? Uh, I can't think I have, actually. Have you ever been hit with a golf ball? Probably. I can't really remember. I was hit at Fox Hills uh, last Christmas, actually. I was in the trees looking for my ball, <laughs> as often is the case. Unusual. And I wandered out into the fairway and a ball just smacked me on the shoulder. On some guy's drive. Playing the same hole as you? Yeah. Ooh. Didn't shout for or anything. I was quite irate. What did you do? Uh, did I, you hit it back at him? I, I started walking towards him to express my displeasure, and then I just thought, you know what? It's just not worth Leave it. it. Leave it. And then I carried on, <laughs> carried on playing the hole. Um, okay, so next one. Celebrations. Profe so celebrations by professional golfers when they've hit great shots, best and worst. Go. Well, you know that I can't get through a podcast without mentioning Wai Yang at yes. the 2009 USPJ, And this image that will eternally be in my memory is of him ho hoisting up his tailor-made golf bag and 
holding it over his head and roaring with triumph. Do you remember that moment? I do, sure, very Absolutely clearly. brilliant. A man who just out-dueled Tiger Woods and become Asia's first major winner with that sort of celebration. A man who's, who's quite mild-mannered generally and you don't get much emotion from responding like that. I just thought it was a terrific moment and I will always remember that. Uh, my one for the best one was Woozy's putt in the 91 Masters. Yes, and one of the best goal photos ever. Yeah. It just... You could, there's a sort of mixture of he can't believe he's done it he can't believe the putt went in he's so excited it's just it encapsulates what it means I think to do something really brilliant in golf I don't think I've ever seen so much expression on one person's face <laughs> I know um, okay so my, I'm going to go straight in with my worst oh switching out I the didn't, order I didn't, have, I didn't have to think about this for very long okay I'm going to caveat this by saying Justin Rose is one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in golf Right, completely agree. He's he's a real gentleman, great bloke, but doesn't look very comfortable celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> and when he hold that putt against Mickelson at Medina, I don't know. There's something about that that made me want to hide behind the sofa. What the sort of <laughs> gritted teeth, finch, a, a fist clenched and held up to chin height, but not really any arm movement. Yeah, and the putter sort of exactly. It was yeah, it was odd. But the reason for that, I think he said after... We'll use an image of that for the, the thumbnail for this podcast. Yeah, but he didn't want to celebrate overtly in front of Mickelson. It was a sign of sportsmanship. And again, that happened on the 18th green where he went to give a massive <laughs> fist pump. That was another bad... Swiveled round and then saw Mickelson there and then just Realised that he was fist pumping. And then just went and did hard. a really, really low profile handshake. <laughs> and I just thought it was a really funny moment. But that just... It, it was odd. That, that, that points to what you said earlier about him being a great bloke. He just He didn't want to... Um, Ryle's opponent, he didn't think it was right given the match they'd played to celebrate in his face, and I respect him a lot for that. So do I, but, but in pure celebration yeah. terms, it was not a fine moment. It, it almost looked like it was clench, clenching, didn't it? It was a ridiculous <laughs> moment, I remember it well. Um, okay, what's yours? Uh, I have gone uh, quite a sinister path with this one, and Brookline sinister. Ryder Cup 1999, no place for it in the game whatsoever. That was appalling. When Leonard hold the putt and they all run over Jose Maria's line. But did they actually run over his line? Yeah. I thought they said that they didn't. They did. They all stormed did onto they? the green. And El Athabar had an 18-footer, I think, which he subsequently yeah. missed. But I just thought that was appalling. How no one on the sideline there was in control of the situation or understand the repercussions of holding that putt, I don't know. And I understand that emotion is a huge part of sport and it sometimes gets the better of people. But that was inexcusable for so many people to make that mistake, I thought was poor. Wow, sobering, sobering words there, Nigel. Sorry, I just I thought, I thought that was that's pretty low to be honest. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, um, prize, prize, mm. best and worst prize. Well, you know what? You mocked me in the email setting up this podcast by saying you might have to make something up here because you've never <laughs> won anything. Well, actually, you know, I've actually won a few things. Okay, <laughs> I've twice won the Lamanga. Uh, my parents have a place in the manga, and there's an annual golf tournament. I've twice won that. But the best one was probably... Is that a, a real tournament, or is that you against your parents? It's the El Forestal Community Golf Tournament. There's right. about 20 people in it, but I won it twice. Um, much to my dad's chagrin. Uh, <laughs> he never managed to get over the line in that tournament. Uh, good, good use of the word chagrin there. Thank you. It's a good word. Um, <laughs> but I will go with... I won a Callaway forward at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club in the media day for the ISPS Hander Ladies European Masters in 2014. I was playing with Carly Booth in the ninth hole there. I think you're familiar with the Buckinghamshire, aren't you? I wonder what the uh, retail value of that product is and whether you should have your amateur status revoked. <laughs> Which well, would be you know, unfair. That I would be, I'd say, a touch harsh. <laughs> But I think it's the ninth hole, which sometimes plays as the 18th. I forget which way around it was on this instance. But again, uh, I seem to do three. well when there are par threes and the, the pin is at the back and there's a tier just before it. So again, I landed it on there with a hybrid, rolled up the tier. But the hybrid, isn't that usually like a flick? No, it's about 180 yards. Okay. Sorry, I don't hit a <laughs> seven on 180 yards. Apologies. No, but seriously, I think that hole's it's a short hole, isn't it? It's not. The one right outside short. the clubhouse? Yeah. Okay, anyway, you hit a hybrid. I hit a hybrid. It went to about four feet. Uh, and I got that was the nearest the pinhole, so I won a Callaway forward. And my team also uh, won the tournament. And we got three free rounds of golf at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club, which is very lovely. And also, that day, I made more birdies than Carly Booth. I made two and she made one. So. But you weren't playing off the same tier, so were you? Uh, yes. 
Oh, you were? But so she I beat you. Propelled my team to victory. But she did beat you. Well, let's not go into the overall score. But I think she propelled beat my you, team to victory. Okay. Uh, and the worst? Mm, I think that when I was 13 or 14 years old and I was playing in a school golf there at Hobridge Golf Club and I won nearest the pin and I was given a polo shirt that was three sizes too small for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> as we've already talked about, were you a little bit chubby as a youngster? Yes. There's that situation where he didn't want to acknowledge that fact by saying, excuse me, this is way too small for me. Can I have a much bigger one, please? He just sort of accepted it sheepishly and moved on. Did you ever wear it? I didn't, know. <laughs> Probably oh, still sat in it. a drawer in my old bedroom somewhere, actually. Motivation, Nigel. Yes, indeed. And what about yourself? I'm sure there are many contenders in this category. Uh, I, um, I'd say on the uh, prizes are quite tricky, aren't they? Because uh, for me, often if you win a golf club, that golf club, I don't know, if you're well fitted for your stuff and you know what you like and know what you don't like, that that club, it might be the wrong loft if it's a wedge or it might be a putter that you've got no intention of ever using. Yes, but not everyone works for Golf Monthly. Well, I know, but even if you don't work for Golf Monthly, you... I say even if... (laughs) Very few people work for Golf Monthly, but even if you don't work in, in golf... You, you know, you want the right stuff for your own game, and if you get given a hybrid, for instance, for winning, for doing something great, that's fantastic, and everyone's be pleased. But if it's not the right shaft or the right loft, and I don't know, stick it on eBay. <laughs> stick it indeed. <laughs> so I'd say, on the whole, a good prize to receive. I've always thought, just for anyone who's running a golf tournament out there, I always think champagne is quite a good prize. Absolutely, nothing can go wrong apart from the cork in the eye, perhaps. Or if you give it to somebody's teetotal. Yes, so actually we've established very quickly that some things can go wrong. But not, not that many people. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, um, my, the best uh, prize ever, I won a Scotty, uh, limited edition Scotty Cameron putter on oh, a nice. Titleist event, which is good. But the worst, uh, I was in Spain playing golf a few years ago on a press trip. And um, I don't think I won the tournament, but I won something. And what I received was a glass platter, like a sort of crudité platter that you might put on hummus and dips and i bear in mind at the time i was sort of 24 living in london with two of my mates we weren't having a lot of parties where crudite was being asked out and i had nowhere in my luggage to put said glass platter so i sorry sorry nowhere in my hand luggage to put it because it was quite big so i put it in my suitcase mm, dear bad, bad choice that no, I, surely my abiding memory of this story is walking around the car park at gatwick at about midnight, looking for my car in the car park, and my bag was making some very strange noises mm. because the glass glass platter platter had shattered into about a million different pieces, and all of my clothes had little shards of glass in them. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the quizzical expression on your face when you received that. You're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed I to do this? And it's a nice gift, but I don't know, not for me at that time. Give it to your folks no, or something. No, your audience. Why well, couldn't? Unless you'd given me like a, a, a sort of I don't know, a gallon of super glue. I mean, you have to acknowledge that it was a risk putting it underneath the plane. But I, could, I didn't, it was enormous. Yeah. I couldn't carry it on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, so um, the next one we're going to talk about is the best and worst golf club food and beverage offerings. So classic things you'll find either on the drinks menu or on the food menu at a golf club. Go. You go first because I may have misinterpreted this question. Oh really? Well, my my fav my favourite um, food and drink item at a golf club is ham, egg, and chips. And I know, mm. appreciate that doesn't preclude you from having this in any other environment. It's just one you find on the menu of most golf clubs, um, and I I do tend to like quite like that. You are um, actually my, a very good point. Something draws your eye to ham, egg, and chips, doesn't it? And then when would you ever have that anywhere else? If you were going I, for no. a standard pub lunch, you would have a a burger or something with a bit or more roast. substance, but or yeah. roast, but you would you would never have that. But a golf club, you always think, "Ooh, I'm making chips." I haven't <laughs> had that for a while. <laughs> That's probably why. Exactly. Um, and my worst, I absolutely despise kummel. Interesting. With a passion. Why is that? It just it it just oh it just it, it I just don't like it. And it also gets you hammered very very quickly. Yeah, I remember I actually only ever had it once, and at Tandridge Golf Club, me and Michael Harris partook uh, before our tea time. Uh, before <laughs> and the second shot I played on that hole uh, was a shank <laughs> it's not a, not a ringing endorsement of Kummel <laughs> I appreciate a lot of people really like it it's just not to my my tastes okay. well I've anyway. gone with a more experiential take on this question and I have to bring up the Woburn 
halfway hut here on the Marquez Ooh, an course, excellent halfway hut yeah. where I actually was playing in a media event the other day and I walked in and there was a chef there who cut me <laughs> some ham and hummus and the nicest artisan breads you could find and it was just an absolutely glorious treat halfway around that is not typical golf club fare. also Sunningdale halfway hut very nice yeah but we're not this isn't a talk about the country's finest halfway huts a sausage roll can't be beaten as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Uh, I've the actually, halfway hut sausage roll. Yeah. But yeah, I shy I, away from anything that. with sauce in it now because it's too messy, especially because I never take my golf glove off. I end up getting ketchup on my golf glove. And it's just a nightmare. <laughs> so, There's quite a simple um, response to that, which is to take your golf glove off. Or do what I've done. And actually, I don't tend to eat that much uh, on the way around. Uh, once I... <laughs> this is the, my worst hurt one. Uh, once I, I did, I'd had a few drinks the night before. My stomach was a, a touch unsettled. <laughs> uh, and I, I was tempted by, a, in the hot pie oven, there was a samosa. God knows how long it had been there for, but I thought it was safe to eat it. Let's just say I had to uh, make my excuses to my playing partners an hour or so later and, and run off in the direction of the clubhouse. <laughs> oh dear. I don't know why you thought a vegetable a samosa was what you wanted. Because you know when you think course. you're getting over your hangover, you, you yeah, think, oh great, enough. I'm ready to eat anything now. Oh, now I'm really hungry. And you, you realise that you're hungry and that you think you can take everything because you think you're a hero who's overcome this hangover and you can go and eat whatever you want. No, it doesn't work <laughs> you, like that at all. You need what you need when you're hungover, don't you? You do. It's just poor it's decision making. It can be a bar. strange thing. Um, and okay, fine. And okay, next one is best and worst shots by professionals that you've mm. seen? Mm. Got two down. This is the last one, so make them good. Tiger Woods, 2000 Canadian Open, six oh, arm yep. from the bunker. Overwater, four. Overwater to a tight right, p, uh, tight right pin with water all around the green. He actually landed the ball to the right of the pin. There was maybe 10 feet of green between flag and fringe on that side, and then yeah. ended up winning the tournament. Brilliant it just, shot. It epitomised why we love Tiger. Uh, I mean, the, the fact he took that shot on in the first place uh, was just sensational. The fact he went straight at the pin just pointed to how strong his mind was at that time. When at a time in, in his life where he was absolutely dominant and no one could come close to him. Yeah, and also, um, unheralded Larry Mai's chipping in at the 1987 Masters in the playoff. I just absolutely love that because that is a hellish chip. Um, unless you catch that. Perfectly. And also, also having talked about celebrations. That was a brilliant celebration. That's, my, that's probably my second favourite photo because obviously when the Masters comes around, we do a lot of preview content in the magazine and online and you often do a lot of sifting through Masters photos. And that is probably my second favourite one after Wiesman is Mize throwing his hat, skipping into the air after just holding a, a really, really tricky, really, really tricky pit, uh, chip downhill towards water in a playoff when you've never been in that situation before. So it was a remarkable effort. I would also, in terms of photos, I'd throw in Constantina Rockers from the Valley of yes. Sin. Yes, what a moment. That was a great moment. Anyway, um, worst. What about your best? My best, Tiger's Chip in Augusta. Nah, yeah. Pro- Classic. Possibly. If you did a poll, I think there's half a chance that that would be voted as the greatest shot of all time. Did yeah. It? Yeah, because it it happened at a time when everyone was watching it. I think sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to find the... the, the tr- I mean, I, I think in terms of difficulty of execution, it was high, but there was also quite a lot of luck involved, and there was a very friendly slope for you. How was there luck involved? Because it's a lottery when it gets starts running down that slope. But not if you've got... Not if you've judged the flight, the spin, and the direction that you're hitting it in. Luck's in the heron part. He's, of the he's, he knows where Augusta. to hit it to get it down to, back towards the hole. He knows but how hard to hit it. Brilliant shot completely agree <laughs> fine touch and this and the situation he was in made it even more special but i just think there are a couple of better ones out there so although i believe i'm going against the grain here because we actually voted that the best shot of all time uh, in a golf monthly feature a couple of years ago i'd probably go. have that down at three or four on my list my win um and then the worst shot of all time that you've seen two again sorry tom clark will chastise me for my inability to pick one here but tiger 2013 abu dhabi tournament uh, he can't do that by the way because he's in magaluf or something isn't he where is, where is he, he? Lanzarote. Lanzarote, somewhere like that yeah okay carry on uh 2013 <laughs> abu dhabi hsbc championship tiger woods hit a, a, a straight top and it didn't even make the fairway i just thought that was oh brilliant. yes do you remember it i do remember that yes and it was a straightforward hole he was two under at the time and he's got a driver in hand driver in hand so and he literally is what is probably the worst shot ever hit wasn't it it was one of the worst shots ever hit it was yeah it's just staggering to see it was a 410 yard par four quite gentle and like it was going quite nicely i can't remember the last time i topped one off a tee peg 
you know, I mean, that's that. I mean, that is one of those things that happened. I think he was playing early there, so it was very early in the morning, and yeah, before the age of incessant sharing on social media. So I'm not sure that got the reach that it would have that would have these days. It was extraordinarily (laughs) bad shot. (laughs) And I.K. Kim at the 2012 Craft Nabisco, where she had oh, she missed a tiny part, less than a one footer to win the tournament. tournament. She missed missed it, it. went into a playoff, and lost in the playoffs. That. Do you know so what? painful. Just her it, glance left at a caddy when she missed it. Just the expression on her face again was. Oh, that's probably the most one of the most heartbreaking moments in golf ever, isn't it? So I, I remember seeing that. She hasn't. She, as far as I'm aware, she hasn't won a major. Oh God! It's a Doug oh. Sanders-esque moment. That one was. What what a thing to happen! I remember looking at that and you know, being shell shocked watching it. <laughs> and then obviously you're going to lose the playoff after that. There's yeah. no way you can leave that behind you and focus solely Get on Get your mind back in the game. Um, I, my, my worst shot ever, I'm going to vote for Monty's approach to the final Ooh, green good at one. in 2006. Very good one. You know, it, it isn't the worst. I mean, Tiger's shot off the, is a lot, is a lot, a lot worse. A worse but shot. He had one of the best iron players in the game in the middle of the fairway with a, what, seven iron? Yeah, exactly. And he, take, he only needed to make bogey to win, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he, no, uh, well, I think... Oh, good question. Yes, yeah, it turned I out. He only needed bogey to win. And he Might ended well up taking right six, didn't he? Yeah. And he missed the playoff. <sighs> so, yeah, bogey would have got him into the into the playoff. Par would have won. He had a seven iron in his hand. It's like a half shank, wasn't green. it? He, sort of, he fatted it short oh. and then had absolutely no chance getting it up and down because it was impossible. <sighs> um, actually, a, a bit of an awful moment, really. You know, Monty's great chance of winning a major and it just... I don't know what happened. That was the so, moment you knew it was never going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was also, he was coming towards the end yeah, he of was, his... he was. He was playing his, so well that week, and he'd been hitting those shots within 15 feet all four rounds. And the, yeah. I'm afraid the pressure just got to him. It was um, it was hard, actually. I was having a conversation with Scott Crockett, who's, I think, Director of Communications at the European Tour, about that. And he actually spoke to Monty as soon as he came off the green, and apparently Monty just turned to him and said, how am I ever going to get over that? And he said back, I'm sorry, Monty, but you won't. And Monty said, thanks for your honesty. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Oh, dear. Absolutely brutal. Well, I think it's possibly a fitting way to end the podcast. I think so. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else you'd like to say? No further business from me today. But okay. uh, I'm sure you've got some digital messages to, to spread. What I would say is, is uh, pick up the uh, latest issue of Golf Monthly and also in the January edition, which is uh, only about a month away now. Uh, we will yes, be publishing top courses. our 2016-17 top 100 golf course rankings. Yes, so wait and find out what's going to go on with that. 18 Yeah. Two-year cycle. Um, so, some and there's a new number one. So interesting. There is some interesting changes afoot, actually. So make sure uh, I won't tell you up. who's going to come out on top, but I will give you a clue by saying that um, it's an excellent golf course. Ah, shocking. The number one in the UK alone. Is an excellent I was golf about course. to say something then, Nigel, that would have completely given it away. Yeah. Um, I, was, I, was, I actually thought about interjecting. <laughs> I stopped myself. Well saved. Uh, anyway, so you have to pick up that copy, that copy of the magazine to find out. Um, but I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you for listening, and um, we will see you next time.